Oh, here we are, people. Welcome back to the podcast, episode 53. And uh, we have another returning guest, as this week I sit down for an amazing chat with my all-time musical hero, uh, Mr. Andy Cairns from Therapy. We did something a bit different this week as uh, Andy picked his top five album openers from the Therapy Back catalogue. Uh, so there's loads of stories behind the songs, how the songs came to be, uh, what influenced their individual creation, how Andy feels about them today, and tons more. Uh, one hour of therapy chat. What a way, what a way for this podcast to bow out on. Um, I mean, what can I say? Thanks to all the previous guests. Uh, thanks to all you lot out there for lending me your ears over the past few years. You know, what started out as as a little lockdown project has kind of blossomed into this this awesome thing. I've met so many awesome people through it. Um, but the biggest kind of thanks I need to give is to Mr. Stephen Hill for um, not only being an absolute fucking lad when he came on the podcast uh, last year, I believe, um, but as a result of that, um, I'm now his kind of co-host and have been for the last kind of four or five months uh, over on True Cult Pop. So... Uh, if you're desperate for a bit more of me coming in your ears every Friday, ooh, uh, missus, um, then check out True Cult Pop, man, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Uh, and if you like it, uh, sign up for the Patreons at patreon.com forward slash true cult pop. Don't be a stranger. Keep in touch, yeah? So uh, let's do this, people. For the final time, Mr. Andy Cairns from Therapy. Love you, bye. Top five side one, side one, side track one, track one. You're listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. The greatest. Each week, a guest picks their five favorite album opening tracks, and we dissect, discuss, and debate each one. The greatest. So let's put on our classics and have a little chat then, shall we? And we are live, people. Um, we have another returning guest because uh, joining me is um, one of my absolute all-time heroes and um, guitarist, vocalist, songwriter extraordinaire from the greatest band of all time. That'll be Therapy, Shock Horror. I'm th- talking about Therapy again. We've got Andy Cairns. How you doing, my friends? I'm all right. That's great to be on. Thanks for having us on again. Oh, my absolute pleasure, mate. This is uh, this is going to be a real treat because what we what we're going to do today, we're going to do slightly, do something a little bit like slightly different. Um, obviously, Andy came on um, about eighteen months ago. Um, you know, picked some amazing songs to put on the mixtape, um, stuff like Burial, and uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely cracking chat. But I thought we did what we do this time. Um, I'd put Andy in the hot seat and get him to pick his top five album opening tracks from the back catalogue of therapy. Mm. So 16 albums. <laughs> I know. Blimey. It's, it's a, it's a blooming, it's a milestone for, um, cause we always, whenever we play, make a live set, we always leave something out. It's just so much material. Now. I mean, it must be brilliant if you're the Stone Roses and the Sex Pistols. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> your set list, imagine your set list. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, we'll do kind of Never Mind the Bollocks and we'll do a couple of singles off of the Great Rock World Swindle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Job done. Job done. So, <laughs> yeah, it takes about 30 seconds to write a set list. I know. Yeah. I, I, do, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I was, I was doing some stuff 
I did a gig with James Dean Bradfield of the Mannix, mm. and we always have a good old natter. And he got me, whenever they closed their old studio, he did a benefit in the courtyard and he got me to open for him doing a solo set. Wow. And during the, and during the day, we were in Faster Studios, which was being relocated out towards Newport. Mm. So we were kind of, <clears throat> we we're just sitting, waiting for the, the doors to open on this gig. Yeah. And uh, it was footage of the Stone Roses playing at like Hamden Park Stadium. Oh, right, yeah. And I love the Stone Roses, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love that man. Mm. And they were playing in front of like, 10,000 people. They've done Hamden. They did the Wembley the night before as well. Yeah. And I just looked at James and we just looked at each other and went, two bloody albums. You know, oh, the Manics have got like, they're like us. They've got yeah. album 14 or something. That's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know it's crazy, isn't it? The, the, the whole Stone Roses thing kind of fascinated me considering like, you know, how it ended with that absolute car crash at Reading 96. Yeah. Um. So then, yeah, come back and possibly do like out of all those bands that you know reformed and stuff it was like the ultimate kind of celebratory lap of honor you know finishing with like was it multiple nights at Wembley Stadium and stuff and I know you know and that was I mean I was at that Reading gig yeah. I was at that it was awful yeah. I mean, I, you know I was, a, I was the band that supported the Stone Roses years ago oh really I, huh? <laughs> I used to be in this terrible terrible indie band called Crash Into June mm. and it was kind of the the, one of my mates in it, he was the the Ents officer at uh, Queen's Uni. Yeah, and the stone the stone roses had just released Elephant Stone. Oh, watching! And, and uh, he basically said, "Look, I've got a Manchester band called the Stone Roses. None of us had heard of them." He said, "They're going to come over. They're going to do Queen's University, the Art College in Belfast, and then they're going to go up to Coleraine and do the University of Ulster." And Gordy was a drummer in this band I was in. He went, "Do you want to do support?" So I kind of hadn't heard anything by them, and I went and checked them out, and NMA had mentioned them, and I thought, oh, they're, they're, I quite like them, they're really good tunes, but they hadn't released the album yet. Mm. So we spent three days in the company. Um, wow. No idea what was happening. I mean, the first gig at Queen's University was in front of about 50 people. The se second one was in Belfast at the Art College, maybe about 60, 70 people. And the one in Coleraine was a bit better attended. But nobody knew who they were, but they, I mean, everyone that watched them was just going, oh, my God, that drummer, that guitarist, you know, because you know, the whole thing hadn't broken yet. No, and uh, I remember the last night we all took Manny out and got him up absolutely drunk up the Malone Road in Belfast. <laughs> and, you know, whenever therapy had started, you know, I'd bumped into them a few times since then. Yeah. And they would always go, oh, you're that guy. You remember you were in that band that opened for us whenever we played in Belfast. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, knew, they knew who therapy were, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely lovely lads. And they were brilliant to us. I mean, because we were absolutely shocked and we were a terrible band. And they were really, really kind and very diplomatic. You know, we, we just got the gig because the drummer worked at the uni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a cla another classic story, but it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's the first track you want to talk about, Andy? Where are we going? What album? And what's the track? I'm going to start with the very first track uh, off Baby Teeth. Nice. Because uh, it was, a, for me, it's a really got a really special place in my heart because it was one of the very first songs the therapy ever wrote and i think it kind of sums up what we're about it's, it wakes up it starts a wake up time to die yeah and that's quite you know a good sentiment and mm -hmm. when it, whenever the band started it was myself and fife just this is before michael joined and we'd written quite a lot of songs in, in fife's bedroom because fife was uh, his parents was, were separated he lived with his dad whenever i met him i was about four and a half five years older than him he was still him and michael were still doing their a levels wow uh, and I met them, and basically every Monday, five at a free house. He would come home from school, and his dad would work late, 
So I would bring like a little tiny practice sample over to five five lived in the same place as my mum and dad would live. It was a little three bedroom house in the council estate. Yeah. And uh I would bring over a little tiny practice sample and he had his drum set up in the room, which he kind of played with brushes. So it's not to annoy the neighbours. <laughs> and a lot of those first two therapy albums were done in that room, you know, just like the ideas and all. And I think because we didn't have any idea. We weren't trying. Most bands at that point in time, we mentioned the Stone Roses, were trying to be the Stone Roses or they were trying to be Slow Dive, or they were, not Slow Dive, but you know, one of those like House of Love, they were trying to be like yeah. Creation Band or a 4AD band. Mm. Or if they were a rock band, they were trying to be Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And we kind of liked everything. And I had this riff that I thought was a bit like Belgian New Beat, and Fife had never heard Belgian New Beat. I played him a compilation album. He approximated the rhythm. Mm. And then I had like the guitar, which is maybe a bit too heavy metal. So he suggested we put a little bit of delay and chorus on it to make it a bit more kind of psychedelic. Mm. And this was all going on in his bedroom. And <laughs> uh, and then we sort of, we we didn't read the music, but we didn't have any lyrics. And we, we thought, what are we going to write about? And where we live in East Antrim, it's very strange. There's a lot of very strange characters around Lauren Valley, Lauren Carrick Fergus. It's... Uh, you know, it's close. I mean, the troubles are, are prevalent there. But this is you know, before the yeah. peace process. Yeah. But if you look beyond the political, there was a lot of very, I always think it's very much, East Antrim is very much like the deep south in America. There's a kind of southern gothic feel. Wow. East Antrim where, you know, there's a lot of, because there's a really heavily Presbyterian religion, you know, the kind of thing where, you, I mean, you can't open a shop on Sunday. Yeah. Some places, you know, when you've got parks, like for kids, they tie the swings around the pole so the kids don't play with them on a Sunday. Really, oh. really strange. But oh. people that are kind of bent out of shape by religion. Mm. So we said, well, there's enough odd characters. Let's write about the people that we see around us. Because that we were into Captain Beefheart and we were into things like that and Tad. Mm. We thought, well, what would these guys sing about Steve Albini from Big Black? Mm. So uh, we needed some lyrics. And Fife had got newspaper cuttings of uh, someone in America. And it was a young kid that had murdered his parents. And when the cops turned up, he was wearing, it was a blues t-shirt, some famous blues phrase, mm. but it was just a complete coincidence. So when the police turned up, he was wearing a t-shirt with no one knows the trouble I've seen written on it. <laughs> and we thought, okay, well, that's where we're going to start. And we're yeah. going to write about, it's kind of the songs basically about, Be Abstract was named after a, a painting by Helen Chadwick, but mm. it's also how your environment shapes you. It takes the actual, the structure of your body and the structure of your mind and, and turns it into part of its environment. It's symbiotic. And I think when we did it, you know, we completed the song. We went back and said, okay, it's got bits of new beats, it's got heavy guitars. Mm. It's got punky noise rock vocals, but it only doesn't sound like anybody else. And I think that's where we've mm. got mission accomplished because we'll be writing songs and very, very early therapy. Whenever we first met, we've got rehearsal tips and, oh yeah, that sounds like minor threat. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you can tell exactly what we listen to. Yeah. But I think with me, Abstract, it's the one time that we just went, that's what our sound is. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. that was we thought, oh, we've landed on something here. Mm. It, it was, it was kind of like, yeah, from literally like the opening salvo from the first, like, like release that you did, like the first mini album. It was like, that was like the therapy blueprints straight mm. away. It's, you know... I mean, it, 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 like with some bands, you kind of get that they sometimes take like a while to find their kind of signature sound and stuff. But I mean, for me, like, obviously, like the first thing I ever heard from therapy was, was, um, was Teeth Grinder on like MTV. 
yeah, way back in God, what was that ninety two or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I obviously there was no internet or anything like that at the time, and it was it wasn't until quite a few years afterwards that I found out that you had these mini albums mm-hmm. coming out, you know, on Ouija Records, obviously before yeah. you started to A and M and stuff. Yeah. And I, I just remember uh, buying uh, buying Baby Teeth. Um, from like I think I think it was Tower Records, Piccadilly Circus, on, oh, yeah, on like, on like you know import horrendously overpriced, you know yeah. at least like twenty four quid or something, you know. Yeah, <laughs> money well spent, frankly. But uh, yeah, and it was it, it was kind of sort of blowing my mind that you know, finding out that these, this was like the first stuff that you'd ever released, and it was just like it instantly has that therapy sounds, you know the, the you know Fife's incredible drumming. At the you know at the start and stuff, you know the samples, yeah, and um, that kind of almost like droney guitar line that you play, and um, I don't know if it's when you play. I don't want to get all, kind of get well. I say I don't want to get all gearhead. You're the gearhead. I'm just I'm just a frustrated shit guitarist. But you know, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know if a lot of it was like on like the open E string. I, you know, I just, I love that. I just love yeah, drawing. Yeah, so uh, I just like putting delay on a guitar, putting some modulation. Hmm. And it's a, a trick I kind of learned a little bit from Pete Townsend actually years ago, funny enough, but a lot of it's from dance records where you just let one bottom string ring and play a lot of stuff. It's very Eastern. It's very Eastern thing yeah. to do as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love it, especially, you know, I have to reel it in because you know, like the, the track off Nurse, Neck Freak, yeah. that uh, it's three and a half minutes long. The original version, that was like nine minutes. Oh, Really? Oh yeah, and oh, I had wow. it, it had like it had literally just me droning away. Amazing <laughs> for about four minutes, and then five came in and did this kind of techno build for another four. Yeah, and then yeah. three minutes of the song, and that was it. Wow! And, uh, whenever we went to record it, like Harvey, they'd be just going, "No, no, 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 no." no. <laughs> he's going, he's going by about the second minute. They'll all be at the bar. He can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, incredible, man! Uh, right, track number two. What's the next song? You want to talk about or what album is it from? Um, I think the next one will go for Knives off Trouble Oh, yeah. And I just think for, you know, I've got a sort of, um, it's a really, really weird one, this one, because it is that's the track that established our metal credentials. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but at the same time, it's very misunderstood. Now, this is one of the things that I keep saying. It's like, you know, I'll meet indie kids and all, you know, and, uh, and they'll go, yeah, I like your band, but I don't really like metal. And I'll go, yeah, well, you know, I'm, you know, we're not a metal band. You know, no. Yeah, yeah, but you are. And I go, well, kind of that track, if you listen to Cables by Big Black, mm. well, that's where that track came from. It came from Ministry and it came from Big Black. Yeah. And the guitar solo is a, a punk solo. The guitar solo is like something off Machine Gun Out of the Cap with the Damned. It's not Dimebag Darrell, you know, it's like, <laughs> It's Poundland, Daryl, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think it's kind of a lot of people kind of go, but what it was was that because of the aggression in the track and because of the sort of, and it's also misunderstood, it's about impotence, it's about impotent rage, it's not about misanthropic rage. It's basically saying, it's, you know, whenever you get beaten up at school yeah. and it's you go back home and go, well, one of these days I'm going to turn into Batman and I'm going to go back and beat up all the baddies. But you know you won't. It's that. It's that about that. But a lot of people yeah. thought it was me trying to be a dark lord and being you know, being menacing. Mm. But what I liked about it was um, it's kind of stood the test of time. Where it's one of those things that's just so simple. Yeah. Do you know what it is as well? I, I was looking for a way to write a song, and, uh, and I thought 
I was listening to Jailhouse Rock by Elvis, and I thought, <laughs> and it goes da da da. Yeah. I thought, what if I played that backwards? Da da. Reverse jailhouse rock. That's reverse, just, yeah, that's rock, just, yeah, that's rock, just rock, blown rock. my mind. That's blown my mind. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it came from. If you listen to it's just reverse jailhouse rock, and then I played it to five, and you know, that sounds like big black. And then we thought, okay, right. So he had got the beat from you know the beat's very big black. Mm. And then Michael adds wrote the bass. Yeah, but that was it's based on a true story. It was uh, you, you probably know this about taking acid at um, Mickey Mouse Studios and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Michael yeah. having to hide the cutlery and stuff because I just got this this kind of psychotic studio. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, that, that then the, the chorus is about it's just about impotent rage. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's I just like it because it's also it's the back that adds me the hardcore band understand. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, great How great was it that that second album was finally released? I know, I know. Ago. Wow, it's so good as well. Yeah, and they worked with Sheldon, didn't they? As well, yes, Christian. yeah, yeah. He was. He famously said that um, what they used to do was they used to sneak up on him uh, whenever they were doing the work with him, and he'd be concentrating and they'd go really quietly, and one of them would just go the knives in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, well, oh, amazing! Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, I mean, Tro- Trouble Gun was was the first um therapy album I bought. Um, it was all you know, all came from like you know, seeing Scream Major on top of the pops, and then all the singles you released in 1993, and it just seemed like there was. There was a there was a swell, you know, scream major and a, you know a, the mighty opal mantra. At watching, um, then obviously turn and then nowhere comes out and the uh, I will never forget the the drunken performance on the words. Yeah, of, uh, yeah, was like, amazing, <laughs> absolutely amazing. And then obviously the and the album comes out and obviously the first the first thing you hear is uh, you know da 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 my boyfriend sells. Yeah. Wow. You know, you know, my my sort of. I, I was sixteen at the time, and um, I'd never heard something so kind of darkly delicious and full of humour. And it just yeah, to- it, it totally appealed to me. It changed so much of the way I kind of listened to music. Um listen to kind of lyrics like the way you constructed your songs but they all had just that like every song on trouble gum i know it's kind of been said like a million billion times but every song on trouble gum could have been a single because every song on that album has a hook yeah there's, there's an incredible kind of pop sensibility to every song on it and um it, it almost gives me kind of pleasure sometimes when I meet someone and we'll be talking about music and I'll be like, oh, you know, you know have, have you heard of this, this, this album called Trouble Gun by Therapy? And, it, and I, I, my face lights up when I say no, because I'm like, <laughs> just do me a favour, just listen to it and then let me know. And every time they come back, I go, oh my fucking God, I've heard this album. I'm like, where have you been for the last 30 years? You know, oh, brilliant. Like, Cheers, man. It's, uh, yeah, um, for me, is I've, I've been on I've been on sort of various podcasts and stuff over the years, and um, I was on one a couple of years ago. But I counted down my top ten albums of all time, and mm. it could only be Trouble Gum at number one. 
because it's oh, been it's, it's it's been there it's soundtracked every kind of part of my life for the past we well, had yeah, 20 well, yeah, it was yeah because it's 30 30 years next march march it, or april yeah, be, yeah, that is so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah crazy man is there gonna be is there gonna be a travel gum tour yes there yeah there is uh we're we're doing it around europe around the uk and Ireland. Nice. yeah and it's nice. been uh it will definitely happen because uh, nice. we, we have had the meeting already we don't know when exactly but we know there'll be a lot of shows it won't just be three or four and we know nice. that it, it will happen yeah <laughs> wonderful wonderful that's my glow is very happy mate <laughs> <laughs> track number three where are we going andy oh, yeah i would just say with track number three i would go for um he's not that kind of girl oh yes the ultimate fuck you album yeah amazing and, amazing and I think that one was um, we had we had the riff at the start, and whenever we whenever we were so we always sit and we always have conversations about what we want the record to be like right up until Hardcore Fire. We always say, "What's this album going to be like once we start writing it?" And this was, as you rightly said, this was the fuck you album. We just had enough. We'd done three albums on a major label. Yeah. We were kind of shunted to another branch of Universal. It was Art Twenty One, and yeah. It was at that point as well when the press had turned against us and it was like kind of, we would ask fans to support us and they would actually come back. The management would say, well, we're not sure about opening for therapy because actually we think therapy probably be open for this band in a year's time. Cool. About 90% about, about of these bands are probably not, <laughs> I've never heard of since. But wow. you know, it was at that point. So it was, we were just so fucking angry. But the two albums I was listening to were Fun House by the Stooges and Clear Spot by Captain Beefheart. You can tell. <laughs> and yeah, and that was it. And I think we had this song and we had the riff and I started singing this get a, get a Beefheart voice and I didn't want it to sound like Jimmy Durante, you know, get that to lappy and punch the wheels. <laughs> <You know? laughs> kind of, and it was like this, for me, it was a big deal. I was going, I really want to go full Beefheart. Mm. And Martin McCartney was going, well, it's kind of Tom Waitsy. I think it's kind of cool. And mm. and Head, the, the producer, who's up for anything, Head was going, yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, the more fucked up, the better. Yeah. And there's also, I just like the fact that there's a George Benson kind of jazz solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it still throws me now when it gets to that bit. You know, it shouldn't work, but it's just so perfect. Yeah, it's so I mean, perfect. So, so many of those noise rock bands, like uh, you've got Fetus on Your Breath and Lydia Lunch and Gallon Drunk and, mm. you know, even bits of early, early Big Black, some, yeah. some early ministry yeah. records, there's little yeah. bits of jazz swing in them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, whenever Graham Hopkins was in the band, you know, he mm. was a bit more of a traditional drummer than Fife was and then yeah. they lived. Yeah. But his dad was a j- professional jazz drummer. Mm. So he was he had all his jazz chop, chops down so with a song like he's not that kind of girl you know he could add the swing to that that would it maybe would have been it might have been a bit too lounge for five so five probably wouldn't have drummed it the same way but graham mm. was perfect for it yeah. um yeah and I, I was just like um i remember whenever we recreated recreated the song live mm. we had to get different amps in and different string gauges because the whole thing was so fucked up mm. but whenever whenever we that was the first song we played the head the producer he was We'd ask Steve Albini, could he produce it? And Steve Albini said he'd be up for doing it, but he was doing stuff with Shellac, so he wasn't available. Yeah, yeah. We asked Dave Sardi, who, oh, wow. yeah, who basically said he didn't like tracks, so he passed on it. Wow. And then, <laughs> and then, we, then we, we, we asked Head, 
who uh, somebody had mentioned what about Heard that he's done with PJ Harvey. Mm. So Heard is a is a kind of he's a great character. He's very 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 bizarre in his own way, but in a really good way. And he came down to this place in Putney that we were rehearsing. And he kind of, we did, we'd never met him before in life. And the first thing we played him was, he's not that kind of girl. It was with the same answer on the album. We played the song and then there was a big sound to it. Yeah, all the guitars sound kind of broken. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he left, we just went, we need that guy to do the album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, yeah. Um, I, I again, I remember, I remember buying that like week it came out. Um, took me a while to find it. It was quite hard to find at the record shops for some reason. Suicide Pact, uh, but I, just, I remember buying it and like, like you were saying uh, when you were talking about, um, you know, Graham um, at the time, because I, you know, I, I'll go, yeah, I'll be absolutely honest. I mean, look. I, I adore Assembly Tatch. I absolutely adore Assembly Tatch. But I, you know, it was the ch- the change in, it was kind of hard for me to like adjust to the change in the drumming style. Oh, I, I don't you know. know, you know. Yeah. But then when it got to Suicide Pat, though, like you were saying, um, Graham is, he's more of like a sort of swing jazz drummer than a four on the yeah. floor drummer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And he, he was man of the match on that album. I mean, you know, every one of you plays out your fucking skin on it. It's, it's so dark and because what's the um um the instrumental was it big cave-in big cave-in yeah, yeah. Oh, just... and that was great because i mean he, what, he was good at, what graham was really good at was what mm. five five wasn't very good at the whenever you do stuff with the three musicians in a room yeah and you do all the rhythm tracks and you capture it uh he always liked to do his drums separately and get them you know get them sounding good and get them yeah. in time and on the money yeah. Whereas Graham would come into his own. If you if you set it up as if you were a jazz band in the fifties, yeah. then he and so stuff like Big Cave in, yeah, he probably have recorded that at the same time the bass was done. Yeah. And we'd have kept the take. Because yeah. that was kind of the stuff he was into, really. Yeah. So yeah. Was it. Mm. it was uh Yeah. It was it was it was it was an it was an interesting time to be like a therapy fan, like like on the, the turn of the century, sort of going from being you know obviously being in being you know because Karan, god bless them man, they pushed you every week for about five years i always found it that that quote that you said that the like if you if you'd split up after like infernal love was it i think it was either after trouble or infernal love infernal love, yeah. infernal love yeah you you'd be headlining reading now you would have done the pixies you yeah know? well basically our that's what our agent he still says this to this day because he works mm. our agent works with a lot of big bands and he's worked mm. with a lot of huge bands yeah. and he said we're what we're the only band that kept together he said yeah. usually when you have a trouble gun that's a global success yeah. and the follow-up yeah. isn't that much of a success yeah. you split up and then you go and bide your time and then it's called the freeze effect you come yeah. back so if your last gig was bricks and academy then when you come back, well, it might not be these days, but I mean, you're, you're gigging back with Bricks and Academy. He said, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And uh, so many bands he's worked with do that. Yeah. But he said at the end of the day, you know, at least you guys have had something, you know, you've been able to make money in the five years since. <laughs> he said a lot of bands <laughs> actually come back because they're penniless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. They spend their advance and what money they've had and they, they do it through necessity, not because let's get the band back together, man. <laughs> <laughs> because they've got a huge tax bill that they didn't see coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, tax bill, divorce. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the list is fucking endless, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, from a 
from an entirely selfish and personal point of view, I'm so fucking glad. Out of all the bands that I, I adored when I was, you know, loaded with teenage angst when I was like mm. 15, 16, 17, Therapy were the only ones that never split. And I loved that. I love the fact that it was going to, you know, every couple of years you get a new therapy album. That 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 period, I, I loved it. You know, I love, um, I adore high anxiety. I love never apologize, never explain. I love shameless. And then, you know, obviously, you know, up to, you know, obviously, a crooked timber, a one cure fits all. It was just like every couple of years, it was like bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang, bang. Um, but obviously, you know, with with the latest album, obviously, it's been five years. Yeah, funny thing called COVID, yeah. Yeah. Don't leave it so long next time. No, <laughs> we won't. We certainly won't. <laughs> What's the next song you want to talk about, dude? Hmm. Let me see. Yeah, it would be <laughs> dramatic pause. It still, no, still hurts. Still hurts. Oh, actually. wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> because I remember I like that track a lot. And it was like, um, I think, what, going back to what we said about Graham Hopkins, I think whenever Neil Cooper joined the band, yeah, he was like considering that whenever one of the very first tours we ever did was opening for his band, The Beyond. Oh, The Beyonds. Oh, and five, five loved Neil Drummond. Yeah. You know, in fact, whenever we did the Pleasure Death album, yeah. there's just Beyond influences over it, like the track yeah. Skinning Pit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Five yeah. used to have this band that he called The Beyond Bit because it was the turnaround was like one of Neil's part. So it was symbiotic, you know, it's sort of a thing had come full circle. But I think really it was only, Neil took a while to, to get his, hit his stride, I think, with the punters. They were all kind of going, oh, we're getting on. I think it still hurts. It's one of those songs where we were writing songs for Disquiet, and it's the first one that I brought in. Mm. And it was kind of killing jokey, thrash metally. Mm. Um, and whenever I played it, I just remember Neil going, yes, 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 yes. He loved it, and he just wanted to play it again and again and again. Um and I just like, I, I kind of like, it's like ministry. Um, it's a little bit, I mean, people, going back to the metal thing, mm. I don't dislike metal, but I'm a punk kid. Yeah. A punk noise rock. I mean, the only metal, what got me into metal, and this is, whenever I grew up, the only people I knew in the music on the estate were either in the punk or in the metal. So I knew Motorhead and I knew ACDC and Iron Maiden. Yeah. I did, uh, the only band I had records by was Motorhead because I really liked them. Yeah, and then I only ever bought only ever bought punk records, but I like GBH and Discharge, which is that kind of crossover thing. Yeah, true. And true. then someone said, um, "If you like GBH and Discharge, you like Metallica." And I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not going to like a name a metal band who actually have the word metal in their name. That's. Yeah. The, and they went, "No, no, no." I'm like, and they showed me a picture, and one of them was wearing a Discharge T-shirt, and one of them yeah. was wearing a Misfits T-shirt. And I'm like, hmm. yeah. All right, so then I listened to them, and I completely fell in love with James Hetfield's guitar playing. So, you know, Master Puppets Ride the Lightning Great, I like. Yeah. A lot of it I can kind of take or leave. Mm. But I could listen to him playing guitar all day. I just think I just love the way he plays guitar. I also think he's like a metal Geordie from Killing Joke. He's just got something in the rhythm yeah. and in the way that he plays. It's, no all, it's, right. all da- it's all downstrokes. It's all downstrokes. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Really yeah. The way he plays. I mean, it's like the other day we were playing um, Master Puppets just when we were rehearsing. And we, we were talking about Stranger Things, and I, you know, I'd learned to play Master Puppets years ago. Yeah. And, we did the riffs. Yeah. and I go, Oh my god, we were playing on the record. And it, I, I was like, he plays it all down, so doesn't it? It's going, My yeah. god, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. My hand's cramping up just thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the claw, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, disquiet was it, was it, it seemed. 
it was the first album of the while where you you seem to be getting a bit of traction. I don't know if that was because it was sort of coming directly after the Trumble Gum anniversary tour. Yeah, could have done. That's true. Yeah, you know, um, um, actually on on that Trouble, I, I think it was yeah, it was on, it was on the Trouble Gum anniversary tour. Um, um, my mate's band was supporting you, uh, Lonely the Brave. Oh yeah, good band, good band. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to, I used to, um, I used to live with the drummer. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. At, at that wow. time as well, actually. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. It's um um but yeah there was I, I again I just remember hearing hearing still hurts and I was like it was the first time in a while that it it, it kind of had that kind of trouble gum kind of instant like pop kind of poppy kind of chorus to it that yeah. hadn't been part of kind of the therapy kind of canon for a while. I don't think. No, you know, you, you yeah. certainly got a, a lot more gnarly and, and experimental, which I, yeah. you know, I fucking love. But it was so lovely hearing that again, and I just yeah. remember, like, by the end of the first time I listened to, it, I was literally jumping for joy. Yeah. I was just yeah. like, yeah. "Therapy are back, man! This is this yeah. is bloody wonderful." I mean, and yeah, you know, tracks like "Tides" on the album, I love. That's "Tides" is like it's like it's pure Husker do. It's pure Bob Miles. Yeah. I love it. The big open chords, and, oh, yeah, fucking glorious. Yeah, I, lo- I love all that's one. Of, that's another thing with drone in the ears. I just love kind of suspended chords. Mm. Always have done. I, I think it goes back to. I'm not. I, I mentioned in Pete Townsend. I'm not that big a Who fan, mm. but I remember it was um, somebody showed me years ago a couple of Who licks with, with the suspended chords and like playing B. Yeah. I, yeah, I mentioned Husker Do, and he went, "Oh yeah, he listen, obviously listens to a lot of Pete Townsend." It's kind of <laughs> no, no Husker Do. Yeah. And he went, "I think you find." I think, and yeah, he, I think... he played me the track "Tattoo," and I went, "Oh, that's the same chord sheet as New Day Rising." Yeah, uh, something like that. Aha! And then I read that he's a huge Pete Townsend fan. Massive Pete Townsend fan. Yeah. Huge, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have yeah. you ever have, have you ever read Bob Mould's um, autobiography? It's fantastic. No, because because. Uh, a journalist friend I know put me off it. Oh, really? He, he said, yeah, he said, don't read it because there's not a lot of joy in it. And I went, really? <laughs> and, he, and he went, uh, yeah, he says, you know, I know how, because it's a bit like I've never met him. I've never I've never met him. I met Grant Hart mm. several times yeah. and I got on well with him. But Bob Mould, it was like, I didn't want to meet him in case we didn't get on or something like that because yeah. it, it wouldn't be, you know, lovely meeting so much. But that, for the same reason, I think this person knew that I'd once said this. You know, I'd be so nervous to meet him in case we didn't go on. Um, I mean, before we, we sort of talk about your final choice, Sandy, um, just wanted to say, you know, huge, massive congratulations on on the latest album. Um, and a little question about like chart positions. Obviously, it was your your highest charting um, yeah. album since uh, Seven Detached in do, does that kind of stuff still like make you feel good? Does it make you feel happy? Does it matter anymore? Do chart positions, you know, is that a kind of a thing of the past now? It's, it's something I've always sort of found quite interesting to ask like recording artists, you know, is it all about like, because uh, kind of rock music kind of traditionally hasn't been like the greatest of streaming kind of genres, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's always sort of more about like album sales. I mean, how did what did it feel like when because obviously mid you know midweek midweek it was actually top 10 and i was like Fuck yeah it, oh this is going to be amazing you know <laughs> i mean i mean you know how did how, how how did it feel you know getting that kind of top 30 album after all this time it, it was 
it was kind of I was expecting because the thing is we we had given up talking about it. the thing is this is the thing when the band started out we never talked about because chart positions we always thought well you know the kind of noise rock we made yeah and then baby teeth got to number one in the indie charts in the UK yeah it did, yeah and all of a sudden we noticed that whenever we were reading about ourselves it was like top of the indie charts and it made a kind of bit of a difference yeah but I think. That's a lot different from whenever we signed a major being in the the sort of like the pop charts, if you want. Yeah. And I remember like Trouble Gum was number one midweek and it yeah. went to number five. So we know that wow. they always fall down. Yeah. But I think what happened is after Semi Detached, we stopped. I'll, I'll be honest, I stopped looking. Yeah. Because I knew, I think Semi, I think Suicide Pact went to number 52 or something. Mm. And after that, we weren't on a major record label for, you know, we, we haven't been on a major since. And I just stopped caring because at that point in time, we'd had our little adventure of being a kind of a band that dipped her toe in the mainstream. Yeah. It didn't We didn't quite sell Metallica levels of records, which we weren't expecting to anyway. Yeah. And because we're from a punk DIY background, we were quite happy to go on, you know, as the fall once said, 40,000 fall fans can't be wrong. You exactly know? <laughs> right. Isn't, isn't, isn't that the greatest title for a great Isn't it? Really? <laughs> wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> And we were just, you know, we've we've got our fans all across the world. We know what we know. Like, but then I think what we did notice was um, coming up to this album that every record we've released in the last, I think, since Disquiet has gone progressively higher in the charts. Yeah. And then the record company started talking about we think this could go top forty because the greatest hits went to number forty. The other one went to number forty one. And I actually said to the guy, "Look, we're not going to think about that." So the guy from the R and R guy said, "Well, what would you be happy with?" And I said, I just want the record to be out. And he went, no, 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 give me a figure, give me a figure. And I said, okay, so if Cleve went to 41 and the greatest hits went to 40, I'll take 39. Because <laughs> it shows there's a little bit of like kind of a, yeah. <laughs> a war of attrition between us. Yeah. And <laughs> so, he, so he said, okay. And then then the, oh. I did, I'll tell you who told me it was midweek because the, um, the band and the management, our management said to the record company, under no circumstances, the band are out doing an in-store. Mm. And, you know, if it doesn't chart, and we're all expecting it to chart, it could be doomed out. So mm. I only find this out later on. Mm. So they told the record company, do not, under any circumstances, tell the band the midweek chart position, just in case it's not good and they're not going to. And, you know, this was, we didn't care about this at the point. And I got an email from uh, Ricky Warwick from the Black Star Riders going, congratulations, exclamation. Oh, right? oh, and, I, and I opened it and he went, you're in the top 10 midweek. And I went, Mike, you're never going to believe this. And literally, as I said, you're never going to believe this. His phone pinged and it was Twitter from the official chart. Mm. Going therapy's biggest midweek since 28 years. Mm. So like, um, wow. we kind of knew. Yeah, and then yeah, people yeah. Like, we, were, we were signing autographs in Nottingham that night and people were sending us congratulations on the midweek and midweek never used to be a thing. Midweek used to be mm. something that you only knew about in the industry, yeah, not yeah, yeah. Industry, but, but it's not a thing. But I suppose that the only difference it makes is, and I hate it's a bit like you can when you're going to festivals, mm. there, if you say therapy, usually it's met with not so much now in the last three or four years because mm. we've never gone away mm. and, we've, and we've had a bit more of a profile. But normally in the UK, especially, therapy are they still going? <laughs> you can go top top thirty, top thirty band therapy. Oh, top thirty band therapy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not only are they still going, but they still get into the top thirty. And it sounds like a lot of bullshit, but it actually makes a difference for some people. Yeah. You know, we could be we could go and play exactly the same way, yeah. but to some people. And I know that there's um, 
having people that normally I haven't heard from in years, getting them to, and the other big thing is, you know, you, you're back in the charts whenever you get shit loads of requests from people wanting to support you on your next tour. <laughs> Literally, all our, all, yeah. all our, uh, we all take turns looking after the social media. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, after, after the chart position, it was like, boom, hello, we're Johnny and the Funk Nuts from Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> And you kind of want to go, dear Mister Fuck. Not where were you? Whatever kind of anxiety. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, where were you fifteen years ago? We were laughing about it. We were kind of saying, "Well, we got to. have you ever seen uh, Father Ted?" Oh yes, you were the Golden Cleric Awards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. We don't really yes. drink up now. We were we were in France doing a festival, and our tour manager came back and said, "Look, lads, here's here's some champagne." He bought a bottle of champagne for the band. They gave us a glass each. We said, "Nah." Or not, and and I said I haven't drank for ages. Went, well, come on, you're back in the top thirty. So I had one glass, and he said, "Do you want another?" I said, "No, because I will become the golden cleric." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and where are you now, Sagan? <laughs> oh my god, I haven't thought about the golden golden cleric in a long time. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and with and with that, Andy, let's go on to your final choice. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be possibly the opening track from the latest album. No, it will be. Uh, uh, simply for the fact that it's, I think I mentioned before too, about all my favourite tracks are the ones that, that I've written come together really, really quickly. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, there's there's been tracks that we've laboured over, and especially some of the stuff on Crooked Timber. Mm. Brief Crack of Light and um, Suicide Pack took a long, long time to write. Yeah. But they shoot the Terrible Master. I'd actually started, oh, this is gonna, this is bizarre. I wanted to write a song, watch Ghost Town by the Specials. Mm. And I was just thinking, that's like kind of a, it's a bit like proto trip hop. And it's yeah. really creepy. And I love that. And I've always loved that track. Yeah. And I started trying to write a song. So I got this like drop D pedal. Um, on my guitar, which takes standard tune and drops right and I went boom, 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 boom. I was trying to write a song like Ghost Town, and I had this little chorus, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I sort of sent it to Nate, and went, that sounds like a drum and bass bass line. And like, boom, but land, and I knew because, because, uh, Neil's a bit of a skedaddler on the drums. Yeah. And once he gets it, the bit between his teeth for a track being fast, you can't talk him into doing it slow. No, it's too, like, late. <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. It's like it's too late. <laughs> I was kind of going, well, I kind of heard it. It's kind of going, like a sort of creepy carnival. But then we played it and we had it for ages in music. And then I got the spark from David Foster Wallace for the lyrics that I've talked about before. But I'm really, really glad the way it turned out because it was all put together really quickly. Uh, I, don't, I got all the different parts. And once we'd established it was going to be quite pacey, mm. then we just played it all. And I remember we were in Derby in Skill Build Studios, which is where we would rehearse occasionally. Mm. And it was a really sunny day. And I remember turning up and saying to the boys, and it's one of the few, because this album was a big collaboration, but I remember saying mm. to them, now that we've established it's a bit faster, Let's put this together. And within, I think, 45 minutes, we had it as you hear it on the album. Wow. Yeah, and it was like, it was done. And I, I love stuff like Scream Age was pretty same, similar. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it was quite the same. And I do like it. And I do like it because 
it took me somewhere I didn't expect it to go because whenever I, I I was determined it was going to be therapy's ghost town. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this. Get, I've been thinking about this for weeks. You had it all planned out. I could see the video and everything. <laughs> and then and Dave just flipped it and turned. And he and he was right. You know, it works really well as an over yeah, track. Because yeah, yeah. I can't unhear that now. Yeah. I, I, I I just want to I, I just want to uh, yeah like. Put the track in a bit of studio so far. I want to slow it down. Yeah, and it's just chopped gonna... and screwed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely incredible. Well, you know, 16 albums. Andy, you know, all I can say is, man, thank you so much for the music. Um, it's soundtracked my life for God knows how many years now. 50 million years, 30 odd years or something like that, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, to have to have my favourite bands not only still going but still releasing albums as good as Hard Cold Fire just yeah just gives me so much kind of joy and yeah thank you so much my friend and thank you guys I appreciate all your support over the years you know you never had to go Golden Cleric did you you were always with us the whole time hell yes I was riding shotgun we appreciate that I was riding shotgun all the way Come on, tonight we battle. Brilliant. Top five side ones, side ones, track one. You've been listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter by searching for Track One Side One Podcast to keep fully up to date with all future guests. And there will also be Spotify playlists linked to each episode. So please check all that out and I'll see you soon.